0: Welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA editor for the Washington Post. Coming to you from Los Angeles, where I was at Lakers Nuggets tonight. First game of the season for me, preseason game. Uh, interesting game, Lonzo Ball making his Staples Center debut. Uh, and with that, it's kind of fitting that we're going to do the Pacific Division podcast uh, today. Going to have five people on to preview the five teams in the Pacific Division. Got Anthony Slater from the Athletic Bay Area to do the Golden State Warriors. Got Brad Turner. And Tony Ganguly, both from the LA Times, do the Los Angeles Clippers and Lakers. Got Ben Goller from Sports Illustrated to do the Phoenix Suns. We've got Sam Amick from USA Today to do the Sacramento Kings. Should be a fun listen. Go deep on all five of these teams. Give you a bunch of stuff to think about as we go into the regular season. Now, from right now, two weeks away. Kind of amazing after everything that's happened, We're two weeks away from... Celtics Cavs and Warriors Rockets on October 17th should be a pretty crazy uh pretty crazy couple weeks and for what should be ahead of what should be a really crazy season so with that let's uh let's get to the podcast starting with Anthony All right, Anthony, thanks for coming by, man. I appreciate it. Um, this is going to run in a couple of weeks, but doing the right the Eva training camp. And uh, it's crazy to think that uh, it feels like only yesterday that we were getting done with the finals and looking ahead to free agency. And now here we are. You know, it seems like a blink of an eye, but it's actually three months later. We're back uh,
1: ready to get going again. Yeah, you know, I, like you said, I don't know. You say you're putting this out in a couple of weeks, but media day tomorrow. um what they I think a week from their first practice which is this Saturday's preseason starts and they're going to China for eight days so about half of their preseason gonna be overseas get back one game and then you know they're getting going what October 17th I think's the opener yep
0: that's closer than you would think yeah it's right around the corner so uh let's just start with where this team is at I mean Warriors won 67 games last year, really cruised to that, blew through the playoffs, went 16-1. Uh, but with all that said, is it fair to think that this team
1: has a chance to be better, even maybe significantly better this year than last? Yeah, I wouldn't say significantly better, because obviously they were really good last year. They kind of stumbled their way to 67 wins, if you can ever do that. with uh, you know, Obviously, the start was a little bit uh, frosty for them, and then... Uh, Durant misses what two months almost and you know it was such a adjustment period with uh, Kevin in there. Uh, if you could predict full health for this team this season, you, you would think they would I don't know gel is the right word, but you know look Kevin Durant is they're now used to playing with each other. I think him and Steph kind of have that mix which they figured out maybe mid last season. Uh, that's back. Everyone that matters is still basically in their prime as far as uh, the the main core guys. And then look, the upgrades on the roster uh, that everyone knows about Nick Young for Ian Clark, that's definitely an upgrade. Jordan Bell for James Michael McAdoo, we think that's going to be an upgrade. I mean, Jordan Bell looks promising. And then Caspi, you know, I, the, I think all you need to know about this team is Omri Caspi, who a guy most people who know basketball are really high on. Like, I'm not even sure he can get minutes, but he's clearly an upgrade from Matt Barnes. So uh, there's no way unless injuries happen that you'd expect them to to take a dip at all. I mean, it's either going to be stable or even better.
0: Well, I, I thought I only said significantly better because you always look at a team and if teams are sick to, to tend to have a lot of guys come back, tend to tend to be better the next year, just from continuity standpoint. And like you said, the, the three spots they, they turned over, they, they should improve pretty significantly on all three.
1: Yeah, for sure they will, but it's just like I, once you reach the level they are, they're at right. I mean, they only they, prove so much. On, on yeah, a, like, I mean, maybe they will be significantly better, but I'm not sure we'll be able to like really quantify it. I mean, look, their net rating was like historic last <laughs> year. It was, even, right. it was even better than the what 73 win season. I think yeah. net rating wise, um, their playoffs they went 16 and one. That's when they. I mean, maybe they have their playoff selves in the regular season. And that's how they're significantly better. But at the same time, like, we all know they're not going to attack the regular season like it's the playoffs. So, right. I think they have a similar type of season. They kind of, they rest a lot of guys. They have some dull games when it's, you know, maybe an L.A. game or a Phoenix back-to-back where they're like, oh, they let the Suns hit 23s or something like that. Mm-hmm. They, on, they only win sixty. what's that, I think the over-under is about 67 and a half. Right. I think that's... That's a very good over under. I'd probably put them right around there, uh, and then they'll get into the playoffs, and they'll be massive favorites as, as long as there's no injuries, and then we'll see. You know how dominant they are, and if they're just as dominant last season, probably be sitting there in the West Finals. Not necessarily talking about competitive series, but hey, is this the greatest Warriors team ever? Is this the greatest team ever? Right. Uh, and then they may run it back again the year after that.
0: Yeah. No. It's it's it'll be interesting to see. Now you mentioned Nick Young of all of all the guys they brought in, he's probably the most. Uh, interesting to um, to to casual fans. What what do you think his role is going to look like coming into the season?
1: Look, I mean, like I said, that, that Ian Clark role, but uh, upgraded in a sense of, it's, it's something that Steve Kerr complained about was the lack of create shot creation on that second unit. He likes to do something that a lot of the basketball community uh, doesn't like, especially with teams that have two stars. Obviously, the Warriors have four, but he sits his two best guys at the same time, Durant and Curry. Uh, usually their bench time overlaps at the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter last year. That lineup, which is very defensive-minded, and look, if, the, if your second unit is Draymond Green, Clayton, Andre Iguodala, David Weston, Ian Clark, which it was last year. Like, that's an incredible lineup to throw out there as, like, basically maybe your worst lineup, definitely worst offensive lineup. But at the same time, like, just think about all those guys. None of them are really off the dribble shot creators. Even Clay Thompson, as good as he is, he never really dribbles into his shots, makes a play. Ian Clark never did that. Very good backdoor cutter. But what they have in Young. Is a guy that can you know do stuff that a lot you know it's not what Warriors basketball is supposed to be on this mantle of you know cutting you know free flowing everyone touching the ball but there are times where that unit stagnated and this year when that unit stagnates they might just throw it over to Nick Young who look Nick Young had a huge year last year I think he played sixty games hit one hundred seventy threes right forty percent from three I mean those are those are big numbers I and mean he's going to get not... a lot of open looks yeah I mean the the my question with Nick Young is. I think he's going to matter in those three-minute windows. He's going to make the, the Warriors better than those three-minute windows at times where, hey, he's just hot. He's having one of those games where he's 8 of 11 and he hits a couple step-backs that aren't high percentage for some guys, but they're higher percentage for him. But can he also matter in the moments where they bring a Durant back and they bring a Curry in and Young's playing good and he can kind of sit in the background. He was good from you know on his corner threes last year. I'm um, looking right now. Left corner, he was 21 of 54. Right corner, he was 25 of 57. That's solid. If he can sit in that corner and be okay with not taking those really contested shots when the main stars are in, when the MVPs are in the game, then he can have a really good role on this team where it's a little pocket of time where he can be like the Lakers' Nick Young and then longer stretches where he can just be a more explosive, more, you know, score to Ian Clark. And that could be a big role on this team, but will he accept that?
0: Yeah, no, Nick's never really been on a team like this either. So I, I, I think you know, you certainly think after all the time that Kevin Durant and Draymond Green spent recruiting him, you would think that'd be the role he'd be coming and wanting to play. And yeah, with his shooting ability, it should really, uh, it should really set up, uh, set up nicely for him to have a big season and then maybe get paid next summer. So uh, you know, I think fans will be seeing a lot of Swaggy P, and <laughs> it'll be, uh, it'll be, it'll be very interesting. How-
1: how many uh, Nick Young, JaVale McGee lineups uh,
0: are you hoping for this season? I mean, look, uh, they'll be they'll be fun to watch. I mean, look, Nick, it's hard not to enjoy watching Nick Young play. He's a he's a he's a fun dude. Um, and so, speaking of that, though, I mean, the, we know the Warriors' starting five, right? I mean, Zaza is going to start at center, and then the four All Stars are going to start. I mean, that, that's pretty well set. But they've they've got a pretty interesting mix of guys. After that, you've got you know Andre Godal, obviously Nick Young, Pat McCaw on the wing. You have got Sean Livingston at backup point guard. Um, you've got a million centers. You've mentioned, you, know, you mentioned Jordan Bell before. They have JaVale back. They have David Wetzel back. They have Armie Caspi on the wing also. Um, you know, it's, it's a very interesting mix. So how do, you, how do you see that second unit shaping up? I mean, I know the center rotation is a whole other thing, but how, how do you see that, that second unit shaping up uh, you know, at those first four spots?
1: Well, I think there's two things to, to watch early in the season. Number one, like like Steve Young sounds – or Steve, Young, Steve Kerr <laughs> sounds very committed to, um re, you know, resting guys maybe a bit more than usual this year. And, he, uh, you know, he knows the new resting rules. He really likes their schedule. He's already come out and talked about how much he likes uh, the NBA schedule for everyone this season, not just the Warriors. Uh, but I, he talked about resting guys, you know, one at a time throughout the year. I think Iguodala is going to get more, you know, full-game rest this year. Uh, Livingston even West and and Zaza because I think he wants to see those young guys behind him so that's what's going to kind of make the bench such a fluid situation it's like I don't think you're going to know night tonight well this random veteran's not available so um, that that'll change and the other thing is like do the vets decline or do the young guys kind of rise like obviously right now they trust Iwadala more than they trust a Macaw or you know Livingston more than a Macaw. but if Macaw's really good in year two and you know look, at summer league, but again, he looked really, he looked good in game five of the finals. He looked really good in summer league. Does he take that next step where it's like, you know, are we sitting there 20 games in, in like, look, Patrick McConaughey's is just a better player than Sean Livingston right now. Well, then maybe that seesaw kind of turns towards McConaughey. To me, it's the same thing at the center spot, which we all know it's, um, you know, five different guys, but can either Damian Jones, Jordan Bell overtake a, a Zaza and that's one of two ways. Does Bell look good enough to do it or is Zaza declining? I mean, Zaza, well, I think he's 33, 34, but he almost seems like an older uh, version of that age. And then mm-hmm. David, David West, who was aged fantastically, I think he's just about to turn 37. So, you know, does he hit that really downside uh, where he starts to look aging and can the young guys overtake them so to me that's the two things to watch on the bench but I mean they're loaded That that's what's crazy about this team is like yeah you're top heavy if you have four all-stars and they are definitely top heavy but you can still be really deep while being top heavy and that's what this team
0: is yeah it's a pretty good combination right I mean it, it, yeah. it really it really is pretty good what do you what do you think you know Jordan Bell in particular you know got a lot of hype when he got drafted you know the Warriors paid three and a half million dollars to get him uh get that pick from the Bulls to take him and You know, after the way McCaw came in and contributed right away, I know people. I know there's a lot of people who think that Bell has a chance to do the same thing. Is that your? I mean, you just talked about. I mean, centers there are. I mean, what what do you? Where do you think he fits into that? Into that mix right now?
1: I think right away, uh, they have a Draymond Green backup four that they didn't really have last year. Obviously, Durant can play small ball four or small ball five, and that just allows for you know so much versatility. But remember, Kavon Looney was a guy going into last season actually had a pretty good preseason, and they were thinking. Uh, They'd have a guy to really spell Draymond Green. There were nights where Draymond Green missed the game because he's either resting or, you know, he he tweaked an ankle a couple times early last season and they started Kevon Looney. Um, Well, Kevon Looney clearly seems to uh, be on the end of this 15-man roster and may not even be on the roster uh, by the time the regular season starts. So Jordan Bell immediately, I believe, is kind of that backup Draymond Green. Uh, at the four, but at the same time, where I'm really interested in Jordan Bell, and I think Steve Kerr will have these lineups in preseason, maybe even early on, especially against small ball like Rockets type teams, is play those two together. You have a really small front line with uh, you know Draymond at the four, Jordan Bell at the five, but man, the switchability of a lineup that would have those two and maybe an Iguodala, Durant, you know, Clay Thompson, because uh, he is he's nowhere near Draymond Green offensively. I mean, he can't dribble and create and shoot like Draymond, but you know. He can get out. I mean, like I know it's just college highlights, but him—he was best shot blocker in Oregon history, even though he's just six eight. His timing's unbelievable. He had a five-five-five-five or whatever in the uh, summer league game, uh, and he's just quick. He's like a D end with with the quick feet, almost like you know those big baby feet. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I think that lineup can terrorize certain teams like Houston. They played Houston in the open. I would not be surprised. Remember how Kerr used to put James Michael McAdoo randomly in and yep. like rockets games. Last yep. year. Well, I, I think you got a much better James Michael yep. McAdoo potentially in Jordan Bell. I don't think he's an every night player, but he could work himself to that. I mean, what's going to matter there is how, how lost is he offensively? If he's not that lost offensively, he could be an every night player, like right away, kind of like McCall was last year. Well, and, oh. and I, I think the
0: interesting guy to watch there is JaVale, right? Because you, I think you could see him become a better version of JaVale. Cause here's a guy that's super athletic um, and can can play kind of that, that dunker role that JaVale excelled at. Obviously, is not quite as big as JaVale, but he's still got a really good vertical leap. can go up and get an oop And he's a guy that it should be way more reliable defensively, even as a rookie, than JaVale. Like. You know, McAdoo would come in generally in those minutes when they'd be playing a smaller, quicker team and and Kerr wouldn't necessarily trust a guy like JaVale to play, you know, play against a a team that could really get him in the pick and roll. But if you got Jordan Bell who can fly around and, and, you know, if he gets ice on the perimeter, he could be okay. All of a sudden that, that gives them an option that, like you said, You know, they tried to have McAdoo play a little bit at times last year, but he wasn't any kind of a rim presence at all. And Bell should be able to provide both of those things, which makes him, I think, like you said, over time, if he can if he can prove it to the coaching staff, I think he could be a really intriguing option for them.
1: Yeah, I think a smarter than McAdoo defender, obviously a better rim protector. Um, and I think a be- probably a better offensive player, at least he projects to be. Oh, he
2: can yeah.
0: definitely because he can definitely get up. Like that's why I think that he could potentially be an improvement on those Ja minutes. Kind of like you said with with what McCaw did last year. Like he he I think could you know McCaw at times kind of grew past Ian Clark and they kind of went back and forth. And I, I could see I could see a similar thing happening there where they look at him as a guy who can who can really grow into that kind of role and, and take some of those minutes away because he does provide you know, those things at both ends that JaVale does, but with potential
1: to maybe be a little more solid he, defensively. You, you know, one other thing he does well, he, he actually can pass. He's really, he really good can. at the, uh, you He made know, some nice passes in summer league. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just like, oh, David West has a high post, he'll hit a cutter, but he, he seems to be pretty good at if he's diving down the lane, somebody hits him like over the top and he can catch, immediately identify like an Iguodala standing in the corner and just kind of slinging out there to him. And yep. it, that's, a, you know, that's something that, when Javale's in, Javale does a lot to their offense. And if you look at the numbers offensively last year, I mean, the net, it's unbelievable when Javale was in the game. But he Javale was never catching a dive pass and then you know ripping a nice pass to the corner. So it's just it's just upgrades. Look, it's just another tool that this team suddenly has, and it's because the Chicago Bulls just wanted a little bit of buyout money for Dwayne Wade. <laughs> It does seem that way, doesn't it? So, uh, well, let
0: me let me get to the last thing because there isn't obviously there isn't a ton to talk about with this team as good as they are. Like you kind of know what they are, but um, is it a lot obviously happened in the NBA this summer? But did any of it? Uh, do you think anything really allowed anyone to close the gap on the Warriors or do you do you come into this season, you know, basically, you know, you kind of touched on it at the beginning, but do you kind of basically look at them the same way we did a year ago where it's going to take something catastrophic on their end to really change the calculus from anything other than, you know, them, you know, theoretically
1: cruising to a second straight title? <laughs> Well, look, I think Cleveland got a bit worse uh, in this particular matchup because, look, Kyrie was effective against the Warriors in really the last two NBA finals, and, you know, no more Kyrie, everyone, I think it's kind of overhyping the Jay Crowder addition, like he'll help, and like he'll be important in a in a Warrior series, but they would rather have uh, Kyrie. If, they had, if it, they had
0: Kyrie and, and Jay Crowder, maybe yeah, that's a
1: different story. Exactly, like, like no doubt he helps, but so that is the finals matchup everyone expects, and If the Warriors got a little bit better and and the Cavs in that matchup got a little bit worse, then, you know, they're more favored in that matchup. Then you go down Spurs matchup. Well, I think the Spurs got a little bit worse uh, in this particular matchup. Jonathan Simmons was always really good against the Warriors. Dwayne Dedman was usable against the Warriors. They lose both those guys. I mean, they add Rudy Gay. Like, maybe if Rudy Gay has really kind of a revival uh, and the Spurs kind of sculpt him into, like, a Spurs version of Rudy Gay, like, he'll help. Um, and you know I trust the Spurs to be very competitive. They probably were going to give the Warriors the best series out of anyone last year if uh, Kawhi doesn't come down with that injury. So they're they're still maybe a, a stable matchup as they were last season. Houston, you know they got better. Probably I mean, I think Houston will be a better team now. Are they better specifically in the Warriors matchup? It's tough for me to see a team that's uh, two smaller kind of guards as like the fulcrum of the entire team. Uh, you know beating up that this two way lengthy monster that the warriors are so um, I'm not super high on them. I think Oklahoma City now is a, a much more fun matchup than they were last season with Paul George added to that court. Yeah, you not
0: you'd think they don't lose every matchup by 25 points this time.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe it's a t- – it, it, I just want to see a game in the fourth quarter. And, like, look, those matches are going to be so emotionally charged up and fun to watch because when you have that much emotion in the arena and that much talent in the arena, it's, like, great basketball to watch. But, I mean, they don't strike me as, like, a threat in a seven-game series or right. a threat to even win maybe two games in a series. Um, other than that, I think the Timberwolves are the team to watch as this era moves forward to like two years from now, three years from now. If Butler really grows to that core, Wiggins gets a lot better. Towns elevates himself to a top five player because he gives the Warriors issues. And if he you know really makes a leap, then he really gives them issues. But uh, to answer your question... I think the rest of the league, I'm happy that they kind of destabilized themselves and kind of traded chess pieces, and that'll make it more fun to watch these new challenges to the Warriors. But I don't think any of them scare the Warriors, really. And I think the, since the Warriors are better, I think they're probably heavier favorites than they were entering last season.
0: I, I, I think so, too. And I, that, to me, is the crazy part, that you look at everything that happened this summer, and I think Golden State comes into this season even heavier favorites than a year ago, which yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. When you look at all the guys that changed and all the, all the improvements teams like houston made and boston you know boston theoretically made and all these different teams and it's still you know i, I agree with you i still think it's Cleveland and, and yeah. golden state yeah. i think i think golden state's got an even bigger advantage than they did a year ago yeah and
1: to me it's not it's not any blaming across the league like man there were some bad moves across the league i no. actually liked a lot no of i, I just...
0: agree completely agree completely
1: yeah. it's just the warriors i mean what's the, la- the last time we saw the warriors they were completing an absolute stampede through the playoffs and like you know upgrades the positions, you just expect them to come back more stable. We'll we'll see the, the one thing. Look, the Warriors they had it, they had injury luck last year, which you know you never know per season. Obviously the Durant. I mean, even to won. agree,
0: but they even had Kevin. They even lost Kevin Durant for six weeks and won sixty seven games.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, but to me the injury luck is that they in the playoffs they, yes, they yes. were healthy and That's like true. look you could just a random Zod – like that could have been a leg break instead sure. of. a – MCL sprain, sure. and then what happens? You know, what if right. this year it's a it's a break? You know, you, that to me changes completely changes the dynamic, and it right. can be on a random February night in DC like it sure. was last year. Yeah, I so, mean that,
0: that is the one thing that could potentially change it. But yeah, short of that, I just don't I just don't see anybody that comes
1: close. No, but I I like the teams that are now sitting in the waiting and not hoping for that to happen, but kind of ready to pounce. I agree.
0: I, I think it, it is going to make it a lot more fun to watch. So, so Anthony, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I'll be seeing plenty of you, obviously, but. Uh, let people know where they can uh, where they can find you on social media, and let them know about your new venture. Uh,
1: at Anthony V. Slater on Twitter. I now work for the Athletic, which is a subscription based site. Uh, you know, it's Warriors coverage is me, Tim Callcomi, and Marcus Thompson covering the Warriors. Uh, a lot of subscribers so far. Numbers are doing good. Content I think has been really good, uh, and it will only grow as Media Day, preseason, the regular season get going, and this team continues to make news like they always do. And you can also find podcast warriors all 82 just search it on itunes and after almost every warriors game if tim bontemps decides to show up we will do <laughs> we will remain doing the uh warrior stock report which you know people seem to like we will i will not be at the opener because i will be at cabs wow. well i'll be wow. at, I, will,
0: I will be at Kyrie's one game in cleveland so i uh i, I i'm bummed to miss that game but uh Kyrie only going to cleveland once i think i think made for a uh a necessity to be there but there'll be plenty there'll be plenty of stock reports this season i promise
1: yeah there'll be some
0: preseason ones i believe there will, too. there will be some preseason ones it'll be good but actually it'll probably they'll probably be a they'll probably be at least one out before this podcast even comes out so uh no that'll be fun too so thanks for doing this man i'll see you tomorrow all right sounds good I'm here with my friend Brad Turner from the Clippers, uh, from the Clippers, from the Los Angeles Times, uh, better known as BT. Um, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, you uh, you ready to get going here? Yeah,
3: let's do this. Let's do this.
0: All right, let's do it. So you're you're very wound up about <laughs> the Clippers, yes. as is everybody. But uh, <laughs> we're we're just joking before we got started. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin has dealt with seemingly one injury after another for a while now. And um, we're doing this a couple days before camp starts, but he, he's not coming back anytime in the short term, I don't think, from this toe injury. So at least as far as you know now, what what is kind of the realistic time frame for when he's gonna get back and and how much can we really expect from, from him anytime soon given, you know, that's a pretty serious injury for a guy with his explosion to try to come back from?
3: Man, that is the greatest question on earth if you are a Clippers fan. When will Blake Griffin be back? We've had estimations that he would be back sometime when training camp started, which means that'll be Monday for Media Day. Camp starts on Tuesday, the 26th, in Hawaii, of all places. Right. To a period that maybe he wouldn't be back until December. And that's a long, long gap in between the time he had surgery, which was the first week of May. You know, So right now, I'm not sure. I don't think the Clippers are sure when he's coming back. From what I understand, Blake has not been running a whole lot. He's been shooting some at the facility, but they haven't seen him much at their practice site in Playa, Playa del Rey. So no one really knows for sure. I guess we'll find out more on Media Day Monday. But if he's not healthy, and let's just go with the long term. He doesn't come back until December. That puts them behind, way, way behind, because he's your best player. He's not available. If he comes back before that, let's just say he misses five or six games, then, of course, they're in a better position. So right now, the Clippers have to be a bit nervous, not knowing for sure when he'll come back. And as you said, he's an explosive jumper, and that's just that right big toe. And he needs that to explode and to score and to maneuver on the basket, even when he's just out on the court 15 feet away and he does his moves left foot, right foot, all those things come into play. So uh, that injury right now
0: is a hold up and it's a big question mark. Well, and and you got to think he's going to be out for a while, right? Because if you look at their schedule, the way the NBA set it up, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first couple months of the season, the Clippers are not on national TV basically at all. And then then magically they start a couple months in the season, they start popping up a lot. And, I, you know, whether, you know, whether that was just the NBA being cautious or not, certainly, certainly, I think it's fair to assume that he's it's going to take him at least a little bit to get up and go into where, where they're going to need him to be. You
3: no, know, I agree. And they don't play on Christmas day for right. the first time since I've covered the team started in 2011. Right. And now personally, I'm happy about that. <laughs> right. I get Christmas off for the first time in forever. Right, uh, but 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 you're right. I mean, I think the the NBA schedule makers had to assume that without Chris Paul to start with, with Blake Griffin coming off an injury, the Clippers probably won't hit their stride until after the first of the year. So then, if they're one of your hot teams, right. well, they used to be one of the hot teams, now right. we don't know
0: who they are, right.
3: So, so I guess they're taking their time before they put them on national TV, and they right. should,
0: right. Um, so let, let's, let's just skip ahead to whenever he does get back on the court. Um, the thing, thing I thought was curious about their summer was they obviously went out and spent a bunch of money to get Danilo Gallinari after they traded Chris Paul. It was kind of their big free agent acquisition. But to me, he's best suited as a power forward at this point, and now they basically have locked him up to play as a small forward next to Blake and DJ. So how, how do you see that, that front court working when, to me, I think they've really, in an ideal world, got two power forwards trying to play next to a center? Well, I think
3: what Doc Rivers, the coach of the Clippers, is assuming that will happen when they take D G out of those games, that then he'll have Blake playing the five position, mm-hmm. or he'll have Gallinari now playing the power four position. You know, so that's what they sort of view. But in the meantime, if you're going six ten, six eleven DeAndre Jordan, six ten Blake, six ten Gallinari, you know that's a big team. Right. So and and you're right. I I think where they get hurt at the most is on defense. Right. Gallinari can shoot. He can score the basketball. He's a really good outside shooter. Blake is strong inside. DJ only is great getting labs. But on defense, you got two guys and Blake and Gallinari who are not very good defenders. You have a great rim protector in DJ. But if everyone's getting to the rim all day long, all night <laughs> right. long. Right, you know, then he'll be in foul trouble, but he won't be happy. Right, exactly.
0: No, that that I think the defensive end, I think that's going to be real interesting because DeGallo and Blake will be able to score with anybody, but if they're giving it back on the other end, it's not making, uh, it's not doing them well, much good. Well, maybe that's their best defense as right. a, as a, the, the two guys that score like you know fifty five, and hope they don't give up sixty. That that might be that might be what it is. Now, what do you what do you think? You know, obviously moving on from Chris Paul, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, what do you what do you think their backcourt rotation is going to look like? Because they've got. You know, you know between Patrick Beverly, they got in the trade, and Lou Williams, they also got in the trade. They got Austin Rivers. They got Milos Teodosic. They they signed uh, from Cert from uh, from overseas. I mean, they they got a lot of guys to try to mix in there. What do you what do you think that rotation is going to look like?
3: Yeah, I think the starters will be Austin Rivers. He'll be starting two guard per se. Patrick Beverly will be the starting point guard, and then they bring in Lou Williams and they're bringing will be that'll be the full guard rotation. Mm-hmm. And they have to hope that that works really well for them. And I, I think it can, but it's not having Chris Paul out there. And it, let's be honest, it's not having J.J. Redick, who made every defense pay attention to him because he ran all over the court. Yep. Because he could shoot the ball from such long range, he opened up a lot of things. So it's not the same backcourt, but he might be a better defensive backcourt. I mean, Austin's a good defender. We know Patrick is one of the best defenders in the NBA. Right. So in that regard, you have something different. In the case of, you know, the sixth man, Lou Williams, where well, the Clippers did lose Jamal Crawford, I don't know how much they lose in that case because Lou is a professional scorer. Right. Lou can get buckets the same way Jamal got buckets, in right. different ways, Right. You know, and he's a little bit younger. So they, I guess the, the one that I'm curious about is Taylor can he play in the NBA? Can he be effective in the NBA? Right. He's been one of the top European guards, you know, ever, but the NBA is a different beast as you and I both know.
0: Right. Well, and, it, and the interesting thing, if they do run it out that way and they've got they've got Austin and Pat and starting and, and, Lou, and Lou and Teodosic coming off the bench, when Lou and Teodosic are on the court together, the, the Clippers might as well not even – they might as well just put the ball in the basket for the other team to bring it back <laughs> up. So those, guys, those guys both – like they're both fun guys to watch play. And Teodosic, like you'll see, he, he's one of the best passers I've ever seen. Like he makes some crazy passes that are fun to watch. But those guys – those guys both don't even pretend to play defense, so... No, no. I, okay. I would assume
3: when those two guys are on
0: the court, that's when DJ must be on the court. You would think he'll be, so. He'll
3: be blocking shots or <laughs> trying to block shots all night long.
0: Right. You would You would certainly think so. And it, it, it uh, it is kind of funny. Like, you think... You know, the Clippers, for so long, we thought of them as just kind of the same team, right? To the point where it was almost like... I know we joked when, I, when I'd see you last year, but how it's just kind of the same old Clippers again and, like, the same, the same exact questions, the same exact team. And, like, this year, like... You think they had, I mean, for so long they've had Chris and JJ and Jamal all in that, those, their, you know, their main rotation at guard. Now all those guys are gone all at once. And it is, it is it, I think it is at least for you going to be a lot, a lot different group than, than you've had just because, you know, a lot of those, those stalwart guys who've been there for these last few years are all, all kind of left all at the same time.
3: Look, the Clippers have nine new players. I mean, that's a lot. Right, So that's nine new key players. They have two starters coming back in DJ and Blake. Right. Beyond that, and then in their key six men, you know, Jamal, who's won three six Man of the Year Awards, two right. with the Clippers, that's a big overhaul. Right. That is a lot to deal with, especially in the super competitive Western Conference. So now all of a sudden, the Clippers go from a team that we all assume would be in the top four in the West, which they were throughout this Doc Rivers regime the last four years, yep. to now have me thinking... They're probably, you know, six seven eight maybe 9. You know, so they're a team that's going to fight for a playoff spot. I don't see them being in the top four for sure.
0: Right.
1: Not
3: even the top five in my eyes. But let's just say all things have been equal. The Clippers are a healthy team. Right. They play, all the guys play, top guys, Blake, you know, Teladoshas and Dyna Golinari, they all play at least, 75 games which right is, you know for this, today's NBA is a good amount of right. games to play right if that happens I still see them being in the sixth spot then I say they get into the playoffs but if someone goes down and as we know with the Clippers someone always goes <laughs> down <laughs> right they t- just can't avoid it then they're fighting for a playoff spot then you've got issues
0: yeah, to me, I mean, this is going to come out for in a couple of weeks. So I'll just say now. I mean, m- one of my bold predictions for this season is they're going to miss the playoffs. I think. I think you know, for as much star power as they have on the team, I mean, you said it to, to me. You know, I think the pieces fit kind of oddly uh, a lot. You know, they have pretty they have a pretty good amount of talent, but it kind of it 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 doesn't necessarily line up great. And I just think the injury thing is going to really kill them. I mean, we have no idea when Blake is coming back. R is a guy who you know he's got a broken hand now. He should be ready for camp, but he. um you know, he, he always misses 10, 15, 20 games. And, um, you know, if, if any of those other, you know, if those guys both play 60 games or less, you know, <laughs> to your point, it's just hard to see how in the Western Conference they're going to have enough otherwise to, to make this thing work.
3: Because, look, there's some good young teams out there. Yeah.
0: Minnesota is a team I expect to be in the playoffs this year.
3: Oklahoma City will be better. And and we keep trying to shovel dirt on San Antonio. Right. So I've I've stopped. They're still right. around. Houston right. is going to be incredible, and right. go the state of the champs.
0: Right, there's you know, already so five that. teams. That's before you That's get to Denver, to Denver, Portland, Memphis, the Clippers, right. New Orleans, New Orleans, and, so, and let's not forget Utah still will be right. in there. Right, and Utah is going to be in the mix too. I mean, all, all six of those teams I think are probably fighting for th- for three yeah, spots. Yeah, and absolutely, you know, like the fact that and look, if like you said, if Blake, if you told me Blake and Gal were going to play. 75 games i would agree with you that yeah i think they'll probably find a way to get it done but it's it's just hard to believe they're even going to play 65 games and and at that point at that point it's really it's really trouble now the one thing i will say is that you look at the clippers now and and i know they did lose chris paul but it does feel like they at least have you know the kind of depth not to maybe withstand blake being gone for 35 games, if that's what it's going to be. But it, it does seem like they finally have some of the depth they've been really looking for by getting guys like Montrezl Harrell and, and Sam Decker and Beverly and, and Lou Williams in that trade, Do, do or maybe they don't have that star, that star trio anymore, but they do finally have some of that solid depth that they've really been trying to, to sort out for a long time.
3: You know, they absolutely do. I mean, they've been looking for that for a long time since I've covered the team. And I think we talked about Gardinari being a power forward. Let's just say Blake can't start the season. Right. Now, Gardinari is your starter. So if you start him at power forward and he's your stretch four, as we're calling these guys now. Right. So now that opens up the court even more, you know, so they can still maybe hold on, but you just, you got your best player can't be out. 25 30 games. Right. And right now, Blake Griffin is the best player. Before that, it was Chris Paul. Right. There's no doubt about that. You have to have your best guy out there performing and playing to his highest level basically every single night. But having depth the way they do now, by having someone like Sam Decker, who's improved quite a bit, who's shown that he can play in this league, montrez harrell he's he's improved over the years. So he's a good center for them to have. And so I I think there's something there. But in the end, if Blake is not playing
0: 70, 75 games, it won't matter. Right. Well, it really won't at all. And that, that kind of gets to the last thing I want to ask you about, which is, you know, the, the Doc Rivers and, and Jerry West relationship. I mean, you, you've known, you known, you've you been around the league a long time. You've known Doc for a long time, even before he was coaching this team. And now, uh, you know, you you covered Jerry when he was with the Lakers uh, back in the day. So, I mean, you, you've been around both those guys a long time. Where. Where do you think that relationship is at, and what did you make of the whole situation with Doc having to give up the, uh, um, the, uh, the 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 president title and just being being the coach now for the team? You know, it's an
3: interesting dynamic because Jerry is this dynamic force, and so is Doc. You've known him for a long time. Right. Jerry West is someone who's put teams together throughout his career, and they've been great teams, but Doc has been one of the better coaches in the NBA. So yes, they have two big egos, but... The decision was made by Steve Ballmer, the owner. That's the guy who makes the final decision. And one of the guys we have not mentioned in all of this, you know, is uh, the vice president Lawrence Franks. Right, he plays a role, and he's more talking more to the media than he ever has in the past. So I, I think Lawrence and Doc are working together and trying to make this work, whereas Jerry is the consultant who perhaps has the ear of the owner a little bit more because Jerry's getting paid $4.5 million, your kind of money that you make at the Washington Post, (laughs) I might add. Settle down with that. that, that Okay, Okay, all right, my bad. Take that back. So I I think it all works, but Jerry is a stickler for details, and Jerry is someone who doesn't mind. He, He won't hold his tongue. Doc is someone who kind of massages the media, kind of gets his own narrative out there, you know, but in the meanwhile you have Jerry back there going, I, I don't know, I don't know about that. You know, so there'll come a time when they butt heads and I think that's good if you do it the right way. You disagree and then you come to a conclusion together what's best for the organization. So I I think they work well together. I mean, so far this summer, I haven't had I haven't heard much of an issue between the two of them or the three of them. They're trying to get this thing moving in the right direction, and they lose Chris Paul, so that was a big blow. So, how do you recover from that? You know, so you have Jerry around, who's not around a whole lot from what I stand right now, he was when he first got there. But the season starts, and how about this? We start off in Hawaii for training camp. I am man, I am so down about that. Well,
0: I'm, yeah. uh, I'm I'm glad you're going to get a chance to get get some more sun, my man. Because uh, yeah, well,
3: yeah, I need it. I need that tan to keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's very true. So, all right, BT, th- thanks for doing this, man. Before you go, though, let uh, let people know where they can find you on uh, on social media so they can. Well,
3: they can I am on I'm only on I'm only on Twitter, man. B a b a underscore Turner. That's what I do. Wow. I, yeah. I can I can have Instagram and all the stuff that you have going <laughs> on there. and, I, and I, I don't want to talk about how you your other sites that you know really do.
0: You uh, yeah, you know you know what's going on there. So thanks oh, yeah. uh th- thanks for doing this. I appreciate it and I uh, look forward to seeing you down the road. Likewise, my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. All right, Tanya, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, this is going to come out in a couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, we're talking right on the eve of training camp, which should be a pretty interesting few weeks. You've got the, uh, the beginning, you know, most notably, the beginning of Lonzo Ball's professional career. has been so much talk about him. Uh, but there also, the Lakers did draft two other guys in the first round, too, Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart. Um, and while they haven't gotten you know, as much notoriety as Lonzo, you know, all three of those guys came pretty highly uh, rated into the draft. And, and, and look, you know, Josh Hart didn't play much. Kuzma played really well in summer league, helped the, the Lakers, along with Lonzo, win the summer league title. So, you know, I obviously start with Lonzo. But, you know, with all three of those guys, what do you see their roles looking like in this, uh, this first season of their pro careers?
4: Yeah, you know, I think that you're right that we're all really excited. I mean, I'm as a as an observer, I am really excited to see what happens with Lonzo Ball's career, how he develops um what he struggles with in the first year. And he's gonna struggle with some things. You know, he's he's nineteen years old, he'll be twenty when the season starts, but like he's young, he's skinny, um you know, he's got to learn about NBA defense. There's a lot of things that that are there's going to be a learning curve for. Um, but you know, I talked to Larry Nance Jr. earlier today and he was just gushing about how excited he is because he's like, I'm a guy who likes who does well in space and Lonzo has eyes on the side of his head and the back of his head. <laughs> he can he was like, he can just – if you're open, he'll get it to you no matter where you are or where he is. And so um, the players are definitely really excited about that. And that's that's the thing that I thought, you know, the whole draft process when there was all this this talk about the Lakers, you know, things that they don't like about him. I just never bought it because he has something that they haven't had in a long time. And right. that's a guy, it's a guy who can, who just knows how to run an offense and how to get – how to make everybody – better at that
0: and certainly when they're being when the team's being run by you know one of the great point cards of all time I always I always thought it was you know pretty hilariously uh transparent that there was some deception attempting to be going on but I, I don't know how anybody in the world would have ever expected them to pass on not only a guy who was pretty clearly rated at you know at worst the second best player in the draft with the second pick but a guy from LA who's a Tall point guard with great passing vision who played UCLA in an up-tempo offense. I mean, it was really hard to, to see how they could possibly pass up on that guy no matter, no matter who else was on the board.
4: Yeah, definitely. I never, I, I just never bought that. Um, and, you know, on, I remember on draft night, I went to go talk to the ball family and, and Lavar was kind of like, I've, he was like, I made it very hard for them not to, not to draft him and <laughs> and I was like you did and I was like but I don't think there was ever any question I mean magic if you think back I mean not to rehash this but if you think back to to early in the in the pre-draft process maybe sure. in like May um, someone asked magic if like which player in the draft reminds him of himself and he said Lonzo right. and from that <laughs> from that moment on I was like they aren't taking any right. no matter what smoke screens they put out there that's the guy that they're taking.
0: Right. I think I think that's very fair. Um, I think that's very fair. But what do you, what do you think? Uh, do you think Kuzma and Hart have chances to play um, on top? Of, I mean, we know Alonzo's going to have the ball in his hands all the time and be the point guard. But uh, yeah. with with guys like Julius Randle on the team, with with Jordan Clarkson, with Kentavis Caldwell-Pope, I mean, do you, do you think those guys are going to be in the rotation at all or is it going to be more of a, a wait-and-see thing? I guess Larry Nance is another guy, too, that can play the four. So they, mm-hmm. they both have a lot of competition for minutes at their spots
4: yeah I think that kuzma has a little bit of a they have a lot of both of those positions they have kind of log jams at um i think especially guard because they've got guys that they want to see and that they want to develop and um so i i think that i would say that it's more likely that you see more of kuzma um, and they really liked his three-point shooting in summer league. He was pretty good with that. Um, they think that he he can be a really good defender, which was a priority for them because they were very, they, I mean, they were the worst defensive team in the league last year. Um, so, you know, I can see, I can see room in the rotation for Kuzma more than Hart, but, um, you know, Hart, I think like a lot like Larry Nance Jr. He's got a level head. He's, he was in college for four years. Um, he's, Someone that I'll be really interested to see. He was hurt through summer league, and I remember talking to a lot of just random coaches, assistant coaches from like other teams, and like personnel people that were around there who were who kind of wished that they had been able to see Josh Hart because he's he was someone that was intriguing to I think a lot of people. Yeah, the stat,
0: the stat translations really liked him a lot. I, I know a lot of teams that, that were pretty intrigued by him and, and mm-hmm. uh, were hoping – I know there were some teams early in the second round especially that were hoping that maybe he would slip you know, a yeah. couple more picks and then maybe they could jump up and get him because uh, he, he was a guy that, like you said, for a lot of reasons people were pretty intrigued by.
4: Yeah, and he had that ankle injury in summer league, so he didn't really play much at all. Um, so people were a little disappointed they didn't get to see him.
0: Yeah, so uh, one guy who people got to see a lot of last year was Brandon Ingram, who was the number two pick in the draft. Uh, very intriguing athlete, you know, six, I guess, what ten, probably six nine, six ten, super long. um Had his growing pains at times, but also towards the end of the year showed some flashes. And um you know, with with Lonzo on the team uh, to to maybe take a little bit of the pressure and spotlight off of him, um, and, and the fact that he spent a year kind of getting used to the NBA and and everything that comes with it. What you know. Know, is, there, is there an expectation around the Lakers that this could be you know, a big kind of breakout sophomore year for him?
4: Well, Tim, are you going to be honest to the people of the podcast listeners and tell them what you actually thought of Brandon?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've, I've been pretty on the record about it, I think. I mean, I've, I've thought from the beginning that, you know, he's a guy that I think can be a, a nice player in the league, you know, maybe a, a Tayshon Prince type. Uh, A very good player, but I just didn't see him becoming the, you know, kind of superstar prospect (laughs) that that I think people have uh, that a lot of people thought he could be. You know, I, I even thought like during the draft process, I didn't I didn't think he like there was talk that at times that he was in the same category as Ben Simmons for the number one pick. I just never personally saw that. Um, yeah. But but there are other people you talk to, you know, and I and I know you you feel pretty strongly about him, and so do some people down there, and other people around the league who you talk to. And yeah. he's a guy that is a really got a really intriguing skill set.
4: Yeah, you know, I it's interesting because like you and I have had this conversation before about like how about what Brandon will end up being, and it's I think that there's a lot there are a lot more people who don't see him up every day, you know, up close who don't believe that he can be, you know, who believe his ceiling is a little bit lower than maybe the people who see him every day. I mean, right. the Lakers, the, I will tell you this, like the Lakers coaches are super, super high on him. Um, they, they're the reason why Brandon was untouchable. You know, they keep using that word saying that they wouldn't trade Brandon. They may have been able to, you know, work out something that could have gotten them. Paul George, if they had, if they had thrown Brandon into the mix, um, But they just weren't willing to do that. Like, he he wasn't a guy. And it's because of how high the coaching staff is on him. Me, personally, like, when I see Brandon, um, I, as the season went on, like, late in the year, there were several times where you could kind of see, you could kind of see it coming out in him. Like, you could see the aggressiveness. You could see the competitiveness that he didn't really have early in the year. You could see him understanding his body a little better and understanding angles and leverage and different things that they had been trying to teach him. He's gonna have to still get fill out and get bigger. He's apparently grown like height wise uh, this off season. Um, He's put on some weight. He told us during training during summer league that he was he he wasn't planning on weighing himself until I think it was until training camp starts because (laughs) because once training camp starts you're just maintaining weight. So he he spent the off season just like putting trying to put on weight and build muscle and he's gonna see where he's at. I guess, this coming week. Um, right. But he, you know, I will, the one thing that I really noticed, I think it's possible that he takes a big jump. He was fantastic in the part of one summer league game that he played. And, right. You know, he was great, but again, but he's not going against guys that he's going to be going against during the right. season. Um his personality really changed too. And that was really interesting, I think, to a lot of people because last year he was new and didn't want to step on any toes and like really quiet. Like you could barely hear him. He never made any jokes. Sometimes he would laugh, but like he was very shy. And at Summer League this year, it was a totally different guy. So that's not everything, obviously. And like that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be a great player, but I think it's a really good sign that he's feeling a lot more comfortable with himself, mm-hmm. and that that he's sort of growing into uh, the, having the kind of personality that he could be someone who would impose himself on, on other people. That plus the body, plus right. you know, it's I think I do I still have I still have really high expectations for Brandon. I think he could make a pretty decent jump this year. Um, one one thing to add, uh, his shooting. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that. He
0: came into the, he, one of the things that was really talked about with him was he was going to be a guy who's going to come in Mm -hmm. and like, you knew he was going to be a shooter. And last year he shot 40% from the field, which is one thing, but the 29% from three was especially striking. Now, did you, did you think that was a case of a guy just not having shots go in or did something not quite go the way you expected it to?
4: I think that he was learning how to deal with NBA defenses.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, I, you know, we talked to Luke Walton about this, a decent amount last year. And he said like, it's harder because, you know, like you, it's just really different guys are closing much faster than they are in college. Um, the guys are actually playing defense, which there's not a ton of in college. They, right. you know, there's, there's a lot of bad shooters in college, but right. not a ton of defense. Um, And so I think Brandon was adjusting to that. Um, I, and he's been working a lot on his, on his jumper Um, this off season. Um, He's talked about that. I don't know if that's going to be his hallmark. I don't know if he's really going to be co- like, I don't know if, I don't know if I see the three point percentage going up a ton this year, mm-hmm. but, um, but I think that, I think that overall as a shooter, he'll get better and he'll, he'll start to get a little more comfortable um, with the defenses that he's facing. Well, and it's
0: easy. It's easy to forget too. I mean, this guy turned 23 weeks ago uh, from right. recording this. So, I mean, there is, there certainly is reason to think that there's, there's plenty of growth to be had. Um, so it, it'll be, it, he will be an interesting guy to watch. And, you know, another guy playing with Lonzo ball that you would think, you know, a guy who makes people around him better, you would think a guy with his athleticism would certainly benefit from playing with a guy like Lonzo every day. Um, one guy who's got a really interesting situation this year, I think, is Julius Randle. Um, he's kind of been, you know, one of the focal points of this team in the last couple of years. They've started this rebuild, um, but now comes into a contract year for him. He's going to be a restricted free agent next summer. Um, he, he's shown kind of intermittent flashes of, of an intriguing game, but he's another guy that you look at, you know, in the, the modern NBA game. He hasn't shown he can really shoot. Um, which makes him an odd fit as a power forward. There's The Lakers could have to clear cap space to try to go after certain big name free agents next summer, who we can get to later. Um, <laughs> so that could maybe com- complicate things a little bit. So uh, I assume you'd agree with me that it seems unlikely that he'll get a contract extension before the deadline next month. And whether he does or not, like, I, I think this is, could be a pretty big year for him in terms of his future in L.A. What do you think uh, he needs to do to try to cement himself as part of this team for the long term?
4: I think that he needs to figure out his identity a little bit. Um, You know, I I think there, there are things that they really like about Julius. Um, There are things that they want him to improve on. Um, Sometimes it's his, his intensity, his consistency with his intensity, because Julius had a, had a, you know, a pretty difficult like season last year mentally. He, um you know, he had this is and not to say that he never used this as an excuse, but just in knowing what this is like for people. I mean, I don't have kids, but like I have I have heard <laughs> what it's like when you, have <laughs> a ba- when you have a baby at home and like his, you know, his fiance, who he got married to this summer. um She had a baby during like he during one of their I think it was their longest road trip we were in Miami and or no we were in Charlotte and Julius had to fly home his baby was born he flew back he played like he he might have flown on a red eye and he played that day and like he just like it was just like a very taxing season and he sort of was it, it was you know all this all this stuff was going on at home and mentally and and physically he wasn't sleeping. And so, I mean, you know, he, he loves being a dad, but it also, it took a lot out of him. Um, And so personally, I think that that had something to do with with the sort of ebbs and flows and in the way that he played sometimes, Um, you know, Luke Walton keeps talking about how they really believe that he can be a great player. I don't know if you can rely on his shooting, to be because that's been a conversation for the past several years yep and i don't you know it, i don't know what do you what you think about that but like at this point I sort of wonder if it's time to stop expecting that to be
0: i would know, agree so with a, that a huge of of the game yeah i mean look he's played two years he's he shot 27.8 percent for I me mean, he shot 10 for 36 from three two years ago. He shot 17 for 63 last year. I mean, it, it, it's hard. The problem for me looking at him and looking at him as an elite player, and which is why I think he is, is the guy that probably is going to go if they do get a couple big name guys next summer, is if you're going to play the four in the modern NBA, um, you've got to be able to space the floor. And, or you've got to be an elite defensive player um uh, you know because he, he can create some shots and handle the ball a little bit which is one one of the other three mm-hmm. things people look for but yeah he can if you, if you can't do one of those other two things like if you can't have two of those three things in your arsenal it's really yeah. tough for you to be a, an above average starter and I, yeah. that's why I think he's an interesting player probably a really good second unit player maybe he's a guy who could run a run a team off the bench is kind of a unique point forward but I mm-hmm. think for what the Lakers are trying to do it, he's going to have to really take a jump with his shooting to prove he can mm-hmm. be more than that
4: yeah he can he can definitely create for other people and they had him uh bring they had him running the offense a little bit last year he had a few triple doubles um you know he's he he's a I think he's a really solid player um I think you know you bring up the point of the needing to clear cap space for next year right now they they have the cap space for one max guy they are very confident that they will have the cap space for two max guys next year um now that's going to mean moving Around some money, so if they can't get rid of Luol Deng's contract, which I'm—they're sh- trying and they would love to—but like it's a difficult contract to move. If they can't do that, then they're going to need to renounce Julius. You know, or so that they don't have that cap hold, or uh, you know, well, actually, and move Jordan Clarkson's contract. Um, They're going to have to do something because they don't have they. All they have talked about this off season is next year we're going to sign two max guys, right? and And they can't do that right as things stand right now one of the one of what I just mentioned is going to have to happen and that could you know Julius Randle could be a casualty of that
0: right wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all so uh real quick uh we got run through two things before we go uh Vika Zubac is a guy who I uh, you heard a lot of positive things about last year you know early in the year he, he looked decent when he played um but then you know the Lakers go out and get Brook Lopez in the D'Angelo Russell trade they just signed Andrew Bogut the other day um where where do you think they're at with him and do you do you think he's still got a chance to kind of carve out a, a pretty good long term role there with them
4: oh yeah for sure um so uh, going back to my larry nance jr conversation that i i literally i got off the phone with him like an hour ago so hmm. it's on my mind um but he uh he says that zoo bots like he just raved and raved about Zubats's body this year. Like, he said his transformation has been incredible. He's He's been, like, really eating right and cut a lot of body fat. That was a big thing for Magic Johnson last offseason, like, at the end of last season, was he came in and he told all the guys, like, you need to cut body fat. So that was, like, like you need to cut cut body fat and come in in the best shape of your life. And so he, they're going to pay attention to who actually did that. Um, And Zubats was a guy who, like, he, he came here from Croatia and then, like, like loved American food and just like <laughs> kept eating it. And right. so um, you know, I was so he he started to cut that out during the season and then in the off season really he made a big effort to to kind of clean up his body. And apparently it's worked really according to Larry Nance Jr. it's apparently been incredible.
0: Well but um, to see if when you yeah. See
4: um but he but so, you know, I don't like Brooke Lopez is not a long term answer necessarily. Right. Um the the big thing, and you know, they were very careful to say when they introduced him that this isn't about his contract, I, which I understand, you know, saying that because I think he'll I think he'll be a nice piece for them for this year. But um, he's, you know, the the main. That trade was a lot more about bringing, getting rid of
0: Team of Fame Moskov than it was. Yes, it was getting and World,
4: and this but. is an expiring contract. Right. It's, they're it's going to open up some cap space for them next year. They were really right. excited to clear up. They they viewed that as being the move that got them to the point where they could have double max room next year. Right. Um, they kept saying that. So, um, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, I don't think that Brooke Lopez is a threat for Zubats to Zubats for being, you know, the, the future of the Lakers at the center. Um, and I think with Bogut they're you know, Bogut, it probably will earn that, that last, uh, they have one roster spot left right. and he's got, he's got a non-guaranteed deal. So um, he'll probably earn that. You never know. Who knows what could happen during training camp. I think last year we assumed that you would would win uh, one of those spots. But um, but so that's, you know, again, like not a long-term answer at center. I think they still want um, Zubats to be that long-term answer. And it seems like he's put in – some of the work uh, at Summer League, he still needed to lose a little bit of weight, but sounds like he's done that.
0: Yeah, no, I would say so. And, and real quick, last thing before we go, uh, th- there's already a drumbeat about the, you know LeBron going to LA or Paul George going to LA or Russell Westbrook going to LA. Um, you know, it's it's all, that's already started and certainly not going to stop anytime soon. I mean, they they obviously have a young team in LA with the Lakers. You got Lonzo Ball, you got Brandon Ingram. Uh, it, there's plenty to talk about. But is there any any concern inside the team that this season gets swallowed up by? Uh, it's speculation about the future instead of any focus on the present.
4: I'll be interested to see if that happens. You know, the thing is, this season is sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, the Lakers are kind of in a holding pattern this year. It has, it has the only reason, the only bearing that it has on their future is that they're going to be spending this season trying to show big name free agents that you want to come here. So they can't be a disaster, they also have no um you know and and they're gonna be developing these young players um, they have no incentive to tank because they don't have a first round pick right so so all these things are but are kind of pointing toward um, you know that that this season is is not really about the future so much as it is about preparing for the future um so I don't know I mean I'll be interested to see that I mean I had a conversation with my editor today about wh- how we cover. The LeBron thing, because it's going to be a thing Um, when LeBron's in L.A. for to play the Lakers or even to play the Clippers like that's going to be a big part of the story. When we're in Cleveland, when I'm in Cleveland covering the Lakers playing the Cavaliers, that's going to be a big part of the story. Right. Um, It's going to be in the back of everybody's mind that and Paul George. um, But, you know, you things happen during the season like you can't cover. You can't talk about LeBron constantly. I, well I guess
5: yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> right. people would
4: argue with me. <laughs> right, right,
5: right.
4: But but you know, I think I think that like internally I think that they're really excited, people are really excited internally that like they don't have to really worry about you don't have to worry about we're winning too many games. You don't have to worry right. about um, you know, how's this all you have to worry about is making sure you look like a team that these free agents would want to join. And you do that by being by, by being as good as you can right. and by showing them that if that they can come in and fill in and do great things. And so I think it's a it's a generally pretty you know, like it's a pretty good position for the, you know, Lakers staff to be and the opportunity is there for them to get something done this year without without creating any sort of steps back that come with trying to tank.
0: Yeah, no, I know. Th- I think that's true. So Tanya, thanks. Thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. I know you got a lot going on. So thanks for stopping by. And uh, before you go, though, just let people know uh, where they could follow you on social media. And if you got anything uh, coming out the first week of camp that you want people to check out later on.
4: I am on Twitter at Tanya Ganguly. And, uh, you know. I don't know. I've, I've, uh, the first week of camp is really upon us right now, so um, I don't have anything to direct people to right now except for our coverage at the LA Times.
0: Well, there you go. All right, thanks for stopping by, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. All right, Ben. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, I, I'm glad you've uh, you've survived the uh, the uh, the always interesting uh, aftermath of doing a rankings piece of any kind. You and you and Bob Mahoney did your top 100 for SI, and uh, and you survived it and are alive. So that that I'd say is a positive.
5: Yep. No, I'm uh, holding up well. Ready to probably offer a pretty demoralizing assessment of the Phoenix Suns.
0: <laughs> Uh, it would be interesting if you offered a positive one, given, given things have not looked great, but they do have some interesting young players, starting with Devin Booker, who I went and looked and you guys ranked uh, 64th on your list. And uh, I, I think he's in a pretty similar spot when mine come out in a few weeks. Um, obviously had the 70 point game last year, um, You know, it it looks like a a pretty interesting young shooting guard in the league in a position there's not a ton of depth at. Um, What do you think is the next thing he needs to do to kind of take that next step as a player and, and, you know, potentially get into the top 50 of lists like yours and mine next season?
5: Yeah, I think he made nice progress in year two in terms of filling out his overall offensive game. And I mean, mostly scoring wise, I think he still has a ways to go as a playmaker for others, a pick and roll player for others. Uh, But I think that will come. I think he's got really good basketball instincts offensively he got his efficiency up Uh, he's shooting the ball well catching shoot situations he's a good isolation scorer especially for his age I mean he's right on track to being you know an all-star caliber two guard you know a few years down the line I think my big issue with a player like Devin Booker is let's not crown him quite yet you know he hasn't really played in a meaningful game uh you know they're they've been really mired in a a tough stretch down there the last couple of years so we want to see him take his own individual scoring translate that to winning uh, and and hopefully, do that in a more functional environment next season. I don't know if this is the year that's going to happen, uh, but sooner or later, he's going to become such a good uh, and consistent offensive force that he's going to drag his team up uh, out of the doldrums of the Western Conference. Uh, I think the other thing we should look at, though, in terms of what's next for Devin Booker, is he's going to start being mentioned in these conversations of like kind of stranded stars who need help. You know, I mean, he hasn't quite wiggled his way into that Anthony Davis conversation yet. Uh, or some of these other guys who we always talk about and say, well, who can they team up with to try to, uh, you know, boost their career so they're not just languishing? Uh, you know, he's entering year three. There's not a lot of hope this season in terms of wins. That'll put him towards the end of his rookie contract. Right. I think ev- eventually people are going to have the conversation around Devin Booker of like, hey. How long is he going to just be comfortable uh, with no real direction down there, and, and who can get down there to help him? I think that's a really fascinating question.
0: Well, the other thing too, which I, I don't, th- which I don't think you touched on, is to me, if he's going to become that kind of player, he's got to become a lot better defensively. Like, uh, it, it just because right now he, he's it's at least in my opinion, is pretty rough at that end. And you look at a lot of these other two guards, whether, you know, James Harden is kind of a notable exception, though he's now playing more point. But you look at guys like Jimmy Butler and Paul George and Clay Thompson, like these guys that are kind of the elite, you know, Gordon Hayward, these guys are the elite, you know, whether it's two or three players in the league. Like those guys are all at least solid um, defensively. And to me, Booker, like at least needs to get, you know, somewhere closer to, Average, if he's going to really be considered uh, in that kind of elite class, where you say, "All right, this guy is a top twenty, twenty-five, thirty player in the league." Because I, as good as he is on offense, I think if you're if you're a total minus on defense, you've got to be you know like a James Harden type you know uh, contributor offensively to to really get that high. And I'm not sure he's going to ever quite be able to do quite that much stuff.
5: No, I'm with you. I mean, it's a clear weakness for him. There's no doubt about it. And I think that also goes to their roster building. I mean, I think if you're in their front office, you're hoping he gets to average on defense and you're also targeting a point guard partner for him who can really be a plus defender and kind of, you know, maybe you know guard either position in the backcourt in a pinch. You know, a Patrick Beverly type. I mean, you mentioned Harden. That's the kind of person you're probably going to have to flank uh, you know, a Devin Booker with as he develops to just make sure that he's in position where he can devote most of his energy offensively. Uh because I don't ever really see him being a big time you know plus impact defensive player. You know, another comp to mention here would be a guy like CJ McCollum. Uh you know, yes, I could see Devin That's a Devin, pretty good
0: that's a pretty I like that one a lot. I hadn't thought of that actually. That's pretty good.
5: Yeah, he's another guy where you could see I mean, maybe he's not going to have quite the mid-range game that CJ has because CJ's game is just on a different level there. But, you know, handle-wise, being able to, you know, be a threat from outside, getting all the way to the basket, free throw line, becoming a better finisher. I could see Booker, you know, doing a lot of those things and I could see him having the same questions that people have about CJ McCollum. Well,
0: and the other thing, too, with Booker is he's got to become like he was a guy, ironically, that came into the league Um You know, in in a different way than Andrew Wiggins. Like when Wiggins came in the league, he was a guy that people thought was going to excel in the floor game and struggle to assert himself as a scorer. And he's kind of been the opposite, right? He's become a guy that's become a a really very good isolation scorer that doesn't necessarily do a lot else. And Booker was a guy, you know, came into the league super young. He's not even 21 yet, turns 21 after the season starts, um, even though it's his third season. But he was a guy that was billed as going to be a lockdown shooter, right? And his career shooting percentage is 35%. He shot 36% last year. So, you know the other thing you know beyond that like he you know if he if he can get up somewhere closer to 40% like last year McCollum was at 42% i mean if if he can if he can get you know up in the the 40% range with his three point shot then he's going to go from a guy that's averaging 22 a game you know, shooting 36 percent, if he could get up to 42, it might that that could get him up in that 26, 27 range. And all of a sudden you're talking about a different level of player, too.
5: Yeah, and I think that's realistic, but he needs more help. You know, I think to, to really have good shooting percentages, you have to have some other guy like a Damian Lillard for McCollum yep. who is creating stuff for you and taking some of the defense's attention. I mean, when I look at Phoenix's roster, I think a fundamental question is how many guys do they have on the team right now who are going to be part of a core uh, around Devin Booker, how many really compliment him. And, you know, you look at some of their biggest salaries or biggest names. I mean, guys like Tyson Chandler, you know, Eric Bledsoe to me, long-term, those are not really going to be pieces at all that are going to help Booker very much. And so now we're digging down in, or another guy is Brandon Knight. I mean, given his sort of, you know, terrible, you know, turn of his career with injury and just his game falling apart, uh, or even a Jared Dudley, you know, nice role player to have, but long-term, how much does he help a player like Booker, uh, and then you have to dig down into their prospects and, you know, they don't really have a lot of proven prospects who are going to be able to grow with him. So that's why I come back to the point I made earlier, which is, uh, is this going to get dicey down there, you know, sooner rather than later? I mean, he's got a little chippiness to him. There's a little bit of Mamba mentality to Devin Booker. Uh, he's not afraid to talk trash out the court. Uh, he went for 70 and unapologetically. Uh, is there going to be a situation where he just kind of has enough is enough down there? And you know, we've seen other players uh kind of you know go against uh that culture you know whether it's Mark Eve Moore or some of the other guys they had a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, i just kind of wonder if this is a, a percolating problem down there in phoenix
0: well that and that that gets to kind of like you said the the, the you, you feel good about devin booker and it's everybody else you kind of wonder about one thing you met you mentioned brandon knight it's incredible to think that if they hadn't made that trade uh you know that kind of crazily ill-fated trade for everyone involved a couple of years ago uh, and giving up that top three, you know, they get up that Lakers pick for Brandon Knight. You know, they could be sitting on two possibly top five picks in this year's draft. Uh, and, you know, then, then all of a sudden with Josh Jackson, some of these other guys are going to talk about, things would look a lot different than, than maybe they do right now. But with that, with that being said aside, um, you know, let, let's talk about Bledsoe. He, he's been seemingly on the block for a couple of years now. He basically got shut down for the last month of last season just to make sure he was healthy, uh, so he could get traded. He then didn't get traded. Um, do, do you think? Do you think it's that he is going to end up, end this season in Phoenix, or do you think this is the year where he finally gets sent somewhere else for um, some pieces that can that can you know continue to help grow this core around Booker down the road?
5: Yeah, every year I would say yes, and I expect him to get traded. And it feels like every year he doesn't. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's right. been such a weird tenure down there, all, going all the way back. Remember his negotiation like oh, dragged right. out when for no way, real reason.
0: Went all the way basically to training camp.
5: What was the point of that? I mean, it really made no sense. Uh,
0: that was the first. That was the first Rich Paul negotiation, <laughs> basically, and that's become that's really become kind of his signature thing to really. Uh, to really drag things out and take as much time as possible that was the, the first example of it
5: yeah just from their side it's just like get it done what else do you have like just bring him into camp you're good uh, I think that is the worst part of the Brandon Knight injury is how it compromises their ability to really freely trade Eric Bledsoe because if you try to trade him you know at the deadline you're basically playing almost half a season with hardly any depth at that point guard position and it also limits what you can take back I mean if you trade Bledsoe out and you don't have night to even play any minutes for you, you probably have to get a point guard back. How many times do you really see those point guard for point guard swaps? I mean, it does happen. I mean, I guess I'm thinking back to like the, you know, the Jeff Teague and and George Hill situation, but it's not like a common occurrence that people just decide to like swap point guards. You know, uh, I guess Isaiah for Kyrie is the best example really lately, but you have to have a lot of weird, uh, you know, conditions to make that happen. So I think it's going to be tough. If I were them, I would bite the bullet and do it. I mean, he is one of their best trade assets. I think he could help a lot of players. I I still think he's one of those guys where where if he was surrounded by more talent, he would probably look a lot better than he has. I'm not sure he's quite up to the task as a number one lead option uh, for a winning team. Um, But, you know, nice defensive player, good energy. Uh, He can go downhill a little bit, uh, probably hasn't figured out his shot as well as people hoped he would a few years ago. But uh I just don't think you know pairing wise he's a couple years older you know quite a bit older really than than Booker I don't see those guys as aligned very well and their pairing just hasn't worked that well in Phoenix
0: yeah and and you know he's also on a pretty good contract as as far as him being a trade asset goes I mean he's basically under market value as a starting point guard in the league um at at basically 14 a year the next couple of years I mean that's a deal that a lot of people would like so yeah I think I think it makes a lot of sense the tricky thing for Phoenix is that last year was the year that if they had made a trade and, and, you know, had a chance, then, you know, they had a chance to take a guy, like say De'Aaron Fox in the draft. Um, this, this upcoming draft, I think Colin Sexton's the only point guard that's really thought to be a guy in the top 10. Um, you know, there's not, you know, it's a draft that's pretty heavy on wings. So, you know, in, in terms of, like you said, in terms of filling that spot, you know, they've got Tyler Uless and some other guys, but you know, it might be tough for them if they do move on from him, unless they can get another guy back in that trade, which as you said, is, is kind of unlikely, but, um,
5: Well, I had a scout tell me recently we were doing these interviews for our preview magazine, and it's amazing how quickly we move on from all these kinds of conversations. (laughs) Right. But he's like, just imagine their future if instead of Josh Jackson, they had been able to get Lonzo Ball. Like if the ping pong balls had fallen, they're they're at number two, and all of a sudden you've got Lonzo and Devin Booker as your core. You feel so much better and so much brighter about what Phoenix is trying to do if they've got that guy locked in. I mean, there's still some questions like, can they guard anybody? I mean, it's a, a very obvious question, but I think... You'd feel better about okay. At least Booker has somebody who can grow with him, and, and they're similar age-wise, and they'll play a really exciting, fun style. And you know, now I think it, it's more uh, of question marks and kind of muddled in terms of where they're going.
0: Yeah, can't uh, I can't I can't really argue with that. Though, though that does get to Josh Jackson, who um, you know, it sounds like that scout isn't necessarily as high on, but a lot of people do like. Is pretty you know, in a league where there aren't a lot of wings, and we did just talk about how just about everybody has a point guard. They're, really everybody's looking for wings, and he's a one of these rangy, athletic wings that that's got the potential to maybe be an impact guy at both ends of the court. So, um, what do you think? What do you think for him is a reasonable expectation for this first season as he uh, as he comes into the league? And it seems like he'll, he'll probably be their starting small forward.
5: I would guess he would. Uh, I mean, they threw like Marquise Chris uh, to the Wolves last year, you know, starting a lot of minutes, playing a lot of minutes. And to me, like Josh Jackson's like way more NBA ready right now than Marquise Chris was and not even really close last year. Uh, I think, you know, the energy, uh, you know, his athleticism, those both really popped to me at at Las Vegas Summer League. I mean, he did seem at times kind of like a man among boys in terms of his ability to just, uh, you know, just go end to end. Uh, Really fun transition player, smooth athlete. I think the shot is what everybody questions. It's pretty weird. You know, his shooting motion just doesn't quite look right. And. The other thing that I question a little bit is uh, I think he has a tendency to trust his own offensive game, maybe just a little bit more than he should. Like he he tries to shoot this little like pea shooter floater. Uh, you know, he tries to have this like kind of I mean, it's very unpolished, but I think he thinks it's a little bit more polished than it is just <laughs> right. in between game. Uh, and that stuff I think he just needs to cut down on. You know, it's sort of like dunks or wide open threes is what I want him to do right now offensively and then just run the court in transition and then defensively. Uh, you know, usually it takes these kinds of stopper types, you know, a couple of years to acclimate to like NBA size and length and, and really be impact defensive players. But I certainly think he can be that. I mean, he's got all the physical tools to be a, a multi-positional defender where you're just switching between you know the different forward spots and Uh, You know, and just making life miserable for people on the ball. I think he can be that guy.
0: Well, and he does seem, you know, you were mentioned how maybe they need a point guard next to Booker that can play defense. He does seem like he could be an ideal fit on the wing next to him and that maybe you don't have that point guard that can necessarily guard anybody uh, that, that Booker needs to guard. But if Jackson, you know, becomes the kind of guy he at least is projected to be. Then you've got a guy that doesn't necessarily need the ball all the time, and can be that guy that maybe Booker just guards whoever the weaker wing is, because Booker's a pretty big guy um, as a shooting guard. So maybe you could say, all right, if there's a, you know, if you're playing a team with a really good two or a really good three, you just throw Jackson on him down the road, and then you have Booker guard the weaker guy and score. I mean, that that does potentially give um, that does potentially give Phoenix that kind of flexibility, and and really could be a really. dynamic wing partnership if, like I said, if if those two guys do develop the way that a lot of people think they can.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could definitely say that their strengths complement each other. You know what I mean? And like their weaknesses sort of offset. Like they're they're definitely two guys where uh, you don't have to worry about like the overlapping problems. Like remember when everyone was saying, oh, maybe Phoenix uh, will trade for Kyrie Irving. Well, like you could see a lot of overlapping issues between him and Devin Booker in terms of no defense and wanting to pound the ball. And, you know, that could become redundant. There's not a lot of redundancies between Booker and Jackson.
0: Right. No, no question at all. And and you mentioned Marquise Chris before. I mean, last year the, the Suns had two top 10 picks. You know, they drafted uh, Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, uh, Bender third, Chris eighth. And, um, you know, Bender really didn't get a chance to do a lot last year. He spent a lot of the year uh, – spent, you know, the last half of the year injured with, a, I think, an ankle injury um, when, when it looked like he was really going to get a chance to play. And uh, you mentioned how Chris kind of got thrown to the wolves. I mean, he played a ton of minutes uh, for a rookie. Um, you know, I mean, you played every game, the average over 20, you had over 20 minutes a game, um, but, but really did struggle at times, um, look like a guy who had a big development curve. Do you, do you see either of those guys as long term fits as a potential cornerstone piece for Phoenix? And um, what are you looking for from both of them in year two to kind of prove one way or the other whether they can be part of that group?
5: Yeah, going into Summer League, they were both really high on my list of guys I was excited to see play. And after like two or three games, I was sort of hanging my head and just being like, why did I get my hopes up? You know, I, <laughs> like I'm, I'm not trying to be like overly harsh, but. With Chris, I mean, his body is unbelievable. I mean, he has got an NBA body. There's no question about it. He came into the NBA with with that. I mean, the length, the size. uh, But I kind of question just, you know, obviously awareness was a huge issue as a rookie. That's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. But even in summer league, like, his motor to me was kind of questionable. It's like, why is this guy taking plays off? Why is he, you know, getting into situations where, like, he's yelling at refs or his teammates? I mean, he just seemed, like, distracted or disinterested or whatever word you want to use. And why you know like you're young you know come out here and prove it show us what you can do and I just didn't really feel like he was making a huge impact on the game I think my questions uh so my question for him is just sort of you know does the the light switch flip on you know because he's got the physical tools that's what he was drafted so high for uh is he able to kind of get himself to a place consistently where uh, he's playing with you know maximum energy and impact uh, that's what I want to see and I have my doubts you know I still need to see that uh in terms of bender I think my question for him is sort of positional. Uh, who do, who can he guard? You know, if he has to be uh, a five, which it kind of seems like with the way the league is going, like he probably has to play center. You know, Is he able to move around and, and stay with uh, other mobile centers? Does he get bullied down low? I think those are questions both ways. And if you try to play him with a four, I, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. I don't think he moves wow. well enough on the perimeter defensively to stay with smaller, quicker guys. So. If this winds up a situation where he's just sort of a stretch five, like you know, he's more of an offensive player and, and he can go out there and be comfortable and face up on the perimeter, uh, and that's really all he gives you. That to me is a real disappointment for where they drafted him. You yeah, know, that, you,
0: you look at the third pick in the draft. That's not that's not exactly what you're what you're hoping to get for sure.
5: So, yeah, I, I guess I'm still in prove it mode, but they're both super young. And the one thing I would say is like their strategy in that draft was very clear. Like they were going on upside. They were shooting for the moon and they were just, you know, praying that one of these guys would pan out and and give them a star type player. Uh, and I questioned it at the time. I think the way I phrased it at the time was like, this is the type of uh, draft that could get you fired. <laughs> right. You know, like right. if, it, if it backfires, everyone's going to look back and say, hey, man, you had two lottery picks. What the heck happened? You, what do you have to show for it? Uh, But I still think we're, you know, at least two years away from being able to make real solid, like firm judgments on who these players can be.
0: Well, and and you know what? When you look back at it, you do just kind of have to wonder if they got unlucky. Right. I mean, that's kind of the thing where this is a very different. We're not going to go down this road. But this is part of why I think that a lot of the 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 you know, the the Sturm and Drang about lottery reform and the desperation to uh, to change that stuff is, is a little silly. Like if you go back and I know it's only I know it's only been one year. But if you look back at the 2016 draft, even now, just 18 months later, okay, so they drafted Bender fourth. So Chris Dunn was fifth, Buddy Heald was sixth, Jamal Murray was seventh. You'd say Jamal Murray looks pretty good, like probably would have been better if they had him with the fourth pick. But even still, him and Devin Booker as a pairing, while they're both talented, might be kind of awkward. Um, Then they draft Chris eighth, Jacoperto went ninth, Maker went 10th, Domada Sabonis went 11th, Torian Prince went 12th, you know, it's like... Juan Hernan Gomez maybe looks like he could be an interesting player but like you look at the top of that draft it's not like we left um 2016 thinking man you know there's there's eight guys here that look like they're really going to be good from the lottery you know whereas like you go to the year before and you've got you know Carl Towns you've got Porzingis um you've got you, you go down through the list uh you know even there you know Miles Turner's at 11th you have Booker at 13th but like when you go back and look like if you don't hit on one of the three or four guys, that looks like they're going to be really good in those top 10 picks. Like, or if it's just our draft where there's only one or two guys that look really good, you know, all of a sudden you can, you could be looking a year or two later and go, man, we just didn't get much out of that. And, You know, that that is where, you know, kind of this strategy of really, you know, going all in on building through the draft can can be tough, because if you don't hit on, you know, virtually every one of those picks in the top 10, you could be looking back in a year or two. And like like the Suns are in now, yeah, maybe they have one or two guys that are really good. Maybe they get even if Jackson works out, let's say Jackson and Booker are really good. If Chris and and Bender both, you know, are, you know, they strike out on those guys or they. They come up, you know, significantly less than what they expected. All of a sudden, you're you're lacking that third piece you really need to have a really good future.
5: No, it's a great point. I mean, if they both bust out, it's not like they're going to be the only two bust from that lottery class of guys right. that you just mentioned. You know, and uh, and so we'll we'll see how it goes. It would just be tough. I mean, they like for their own development, just a way that they've been bad for multiple years. Now, I think people forget how deep. Phoenix is kind of into this rebuilding mode because they had that one good year where they sort of flirted with the playoffs and everybody got excited. I mean, this is a team that's really been irrelevant for a lot of years. And I think if both those guys just don't hit for them, uh, it just really drains their asset cash. You know, they're just so thin. Uh, at the other spots, that the building process around Evan Booker will take so much longer if they don't have either one of those guys to count on.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And 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 look, like just imagine if they hadn't drafted Booker with the 13th pick, right? If he went sooner than that, I mean, then then you'd be looking like this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs in seven seasons. Uh, they're not going to make the playoffs this season. So since 2010, they they haven't, they'll have they've missed the playoffs eight straight years. I mean, if you go back, I, I'm looking now. They they've been in the league for. About fifty years, and they've—I I think—they've missed the playoffs ten times. And since nineteen seventy-six, they've missed the playoffs. So, but from nineteen seventy-six to two thousand and ten, they missed the playoffs. Uh, it looks like seven times. So, I mean, when you when you think about it that way, this is this is a team that, even though it's never won a championship, has had a lot of success. And you know, now you're seven years into a rebuild, and you know, you have, you, you know, you do have Booker who you feel good about. And, you know, Jackson I think is considered a higher ceiling prospect than even guys like Bender and Chris were when they came out. So maybe you have two guys, but you know, as, to wrap this thing up, you know, like, like we said, this is going on year eight with this team missing the playoffs. Seven of those years are going to wind up being under 500. Um, you know, other than that one, you know, breakthrough year, uh, Jeff Hornacek's first year when they won 48 games. And I think one of the most games without ever missing, without making the playoffs in league history. Um how long do you think it's going to take for this team to get back in the playoffs? Is this looking at like is 2020 realistic? Is it even longer than that? I mean, to go back to your point about Booker to begin the thing to, to begin this podcast, you know, if if it if it isn't in the next couple of years, that's you're already looking at say year four or five for Booker at that point without making the playoffs, and then you do start wondering if you get into a territory um, where he or everybody on both sides starts looking around for maybe they're having to be a, a long term split for him to go somewhere where he can win.
5: Yeah, I think what really scares me and what makes me think this could be a really just an even longer term situation for them, like I'm saying no playoff appearances for the next three years, is that they've tried so many different things, right? Like they've tried to get into the free agency mix and that has either not worked in terms of like failed pursuits of guys or backfired in terms of landing a guy like Tyson Chandler, who's super expensive. And now what do you do with them? Right. They have tried just wheeling and dealing all the trades like you mentioned. And a lot of talent went out and not very much talent went back. They've had their share of busts in the draft in terms of, you know, a guy like Alex Len. and, you know, despite all of those misses, you know, they just recently gave their GM, Ryan McDonough an extension so they're clearly committed to this current path and they're committed to him as the talent evaluator. And I think that's kind of what makes me nervous, too, is I'm not totally sure this is the guy in his first job who has proven that he should have gotten that extension, number one, and that he has a real clear idea of how he wants to build this team. Uh, and so you know, that part's got me you know, a little bit nervous. I mean, you look at some of the other mistakes that they made, whether it was locker room issues, uh, the whole Marquise Morris and Marcus Morris fiasco from a few years ago. Uh, you know, certainly the way they handled Hornacek, the end of his tenure there was an absolute mess. Everybody knew it, uh, and so I think for whatever reason, Phoenix tends to skate a little bit in, in terms of the NBA's most dysfunctional organizations. Like we think of the Kings, we might think of like the Process Sixers, uh, the Pelicans. Uh, but, but I think that's, they've
0: kind of done it quietly, right? Like yeah. there've been a couple issues, but there haven't been like they haven't made colossally like they haven't made colossally bad trades. Like even at even that three-team trade or four-team trade, including Brandon Knight, like people look at that as a bad trade, but the, you know there were so many different uh, facets of that trade, and so many weird things happened in it that people kind of it—it it, it almost gets all lumped into one thing, right? It's not like totally. that Kings trade where the Kings gave up you know multiple first-round picks to save ten million dollars. You know, it's yeah, like they've—they've but- they've just kind of, like you said, they've kind of floated along in in almost like a purgatory situation where they're just like they're. They're just irrelevant enough that, that nobody notices what's going on there.
5: Totally. It kind of reminds me a little bit, actually, of Orlando. Like, they're sort of the Western Conference yes, in Orlando. That's a
0: great, that's a great comparison. I think it's perfect. Think,
5: I mean, the one advantage they have is Booker. I mean, he clearly is like a centerpiece guy that Orlando has been searching for and searching for and just hasn't found. So that gives them a leg up. Right. But it t- in the Western Conference, it takes more than one young prospect. It even takes more than two. Like, even if Jackson really hits, they're going to need more than that. And, you know, going back to that Orlando comparison just finally – I mean, if I'm Earl Watson, I don't know if this is the year where I start to get a little bit nervous, but like there could be like a Jock Vaughn situation there where, you know, you're the coach who gets a team through the really tough years of the rebuild. Once some of the core guys get a little bit older, you bring in a more experienced coach. Uh, I think it sounds like McDonough's just locked in there as their GM because of his extension. Uh, but I think Watson isn't too far away from some of the hot seat type talk uh, here, whether it's this year or next year.
0: Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see. So, so Ben, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Um, I know you're in the middle of preview mode, but this isn't coming out for a couple weeks. So you've got any, if you have anything in the hopper uh, for the first week or so of camp, you want people to, to read, you know, let them know about it and also let them know where they can find you on the various social medias.
5: Yeah, guys, just si.com slash NBA. We're going to go all out with the preview stuff. As always, you know, reasons to watch entertainment value rankings, uh, you know, team by team previews, uh scouting reports from opposing scouts all that good stuff i'm on twitter at ben Golliver, b-e-n-g-o-l-l-i-v-e-r uh tim thanks for the convo man
0: anytime man looking forward to uh look forward to seeing you soon take care all right sam thanks for doing this i appreciate it um do new uh New Age in Sacramento with uh first season in several I I guess uh I guess this is the first time in eight years that the Kings aren't opening training camp without Demarcus Cousins there um what uh what what is the mood like in in Sacramento at the moment about the team as they uh they kind of embark on a new new frontier without Boogie around
2: Tim they feel pretty good you know what I mean they they had a pretty good off season in fact uh, I connected with a few of their folks just yesterday and and kind of joked about how it must have been nice to go through a summer where the, the headlines weren't quite as brutal as they had been the last couple of off seasons. And mm-hmm. the jokes and the punchlines didn't all come their direction. And for a couple of years there, it seemed like that was the case. So, I mean, it starts from the De'Aaron Fox hype and the buzz. Uh, you know, they were thrilled to get him in the draft. And, and I think going forward, that's certainly your franchise centerpiece and, and the guy that they're most excited about. But what's interesting when it comes to the youth movement, to me, is that they've kind of quickly pivoted into this this uh, idea and this belief internally that, you know, they're so excited about the other young guys, too, that they don't want everything to be about Darren. And, and I think also I'm sensing that they have learned from past mistakes, from past regimes, uh, at the dangers of putting all of your eggs in one basket. They hyped DeMarcus Cousins so much so early that I think it created a, an unhealthy climate. And to their credit, I think they're trying to learn from that too. So you know they feel good, and obviously they they went out in free agency and got some vets to put around these young guys, and we'll see how
0: it works. What? Well, let's start with the vets first. Um, what did you think of the way they they went about their summer and spending the money they did to bring in guys like Vince Carter and uh, and Zach Randolph, and and most specifically George Hill, even after drafting Fox.
2: I liked it. I mean, you can we could sit here and debate the, the different contracts. Um, you're always going to have. You know, an extra tax, so to speak, when it comes to getting players to come to Sacramento in free agency. And I would probably venture to to put it unofficially at like 15 percent above market value is almost what you have to pay. And, you know, agree or disagree. I just think that's reality. And so you wind up certainly while the team is bad like this. That's what I mean, yeah, and and even even in the best of times, you know, in their heyday and the, the only glory time they've ever had, you know, they were having to make sure that Chris Weber didn't skip town and, and almost twist his arm to make sure that he kept that, that uh, little era going. So, you know, the, the money is the money, but the idea, again, that I think they're learning from the past and hoping that when you shore up your locker room with not only players who are grown men – with good leadership qualities, first and foremost, I think Vince Carter, but guys who can still play the game. Even Vince at 40 was pretty productive last year, but to a much more relevant degree, I think George Hill being a guy who comes in with the ability to make an impact, give your fans a few more W's, which they have not had many of in the last couple of years, but also not kind of that same theme of not expecting De'Aaron Fox to move mountains right away and letting him kind of play his way into that position. Um, You know, it's it's a debate, you know what I mean? I think there's a gray area there where you can certainly contend that maybe you slow down his development if you have a guy like George Hill in town. But I think if you uh, if you swung it the other way and you had nobody to to fill that gap at all, then maybe you're putting too much on him too fast. And
0: we'll see how it works. Well, and you also probably, I'm sure, their thought, at least I would be, is that if you you have him there for a year and, and it looks like you know Darren's ready to go next year, I mean that's still that's that's only a couple year contract at that point. Maybe you flip him to. Say a team like the the Wizards that's got you know Yamahimi on a, a couple of extra years, and maybe you get a first round pick back, and you sure you know use him, use a useful player on a big contract to get a you know a non useful player on a pick, and you know especially with a team that's not going to have a pick in 2019, maybe you you know get a first round pick back that way or some other way like that, and kind of use them that way. But um, you know you mentioned Aaron Fox before, um, you know between him and, and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who had a pretty nice. Uh, eurobasket for for Serbia um, what do you, what do you think the goals are for those two guys and and you know specifically in fox's uh, and, on Fox I know you said how they're they're looking at him differently but he he seems like a guy that uh, you know, with with between his personality and and both but the both between his personality and the position he plays, he seems like the perfect kind of guy to be. You know, even though they don't want to put too much pressure on him, the guy that is the face of a franchise that's trying to make a fresh start because he seems like a kid that you know doesn't mind the spotlight and doesn't mind you know being a leader as you as you really need your point guard to be.
2: No, I agree. I agree. I mean, personality doesn't win games, but it doesn't hurt. And and <laughs> considering it seems like. You know he's got the talent to compete at a high level in in the league. Right. Then it's a it's a nice bonus that he's got charisma, that he's got confidence. I mean, I thought he was an absolute rock star at summer league. You know, he saw he uh, did a, a bit with the starters on NBA TV. Yes. That I thought it was that. fantastic. Yeah, like he's just he can work the room, but it's in a genuine kind of way. He's very likable. Uh, it's funny because as you know, obviously I live up in this neck of the woods. Um, I learned from from a uh, a run of the mill trip to the local sporting goods store that we are living in the same town, which was pretty funny because I, I strolled <laughs> in and, and, I, and I said, Hey, that's And So I said hello to him and his girlfriend
0: that's for funny. a minute.
2: Uh, but here's, here's, I mean, he's going to be a a guy that we talk about all year long. And I kind of love potentially the, the fun mano mono matchup with, Lonzo Ball, and you've got the hype and the glitz and the glamour of the Lakers and the Ball family that is just grabbing that spotlight and trying to get as much of it as possible. And then you got a, a guy in De'Aaron who is capable of commanding that spotlight, but he just, ha- you know, he happens to land in sleepy Sacramento, and it's a very different dynamic. And they're both going to be in that Pacific Division going at each other four times a year. I think that's going to be fun. But you know, to your question, I do think that that it's very possible. That in pretty short order, De'Aaron is a guy who they feel more comfortable putting more on. I think you know we've seen some of his grit on the court in his college days, and and he got the best Alonzo in two out of their three college matchups. And uh, and I don't think he's a guy who's going to back down from anybody.
0: So I think he's going to be good. No, I, I I think you're right about that. And and let's let's just kind of run through some of these other young guys. They've got Bogdanovich, who they gave a good amount of money to after trade for him,
2: and they're fired uh, a year up
0: ago. about. It. And yeah. I'm 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 not surprised that the uh, the Serbian guy running the team <laughs> is fired, uh, fired up about the uh, the young Serbian guard. Uh, you know, Vlade Divac obviously was a, a legend for. Uh, I think I don't know if he ever actually played for Serbia, but definitely for when it was uh, Yugoslavia, and he's a right a proud right. Serb. But um, quick between, before you move on, real no, for
2: fun, sure, for fun sure, fun quick side story. We're at summer league, as you know. You wind up after a couple of days being in, in a haze at Summer League. So I'm sitting on press row inside the arena and the Kings were playing somebody and I wasn't really interacting with anybody. I was kind of just on my computer. And all of a sudden I look up and here's this big old man, Vladdy Divas, walking <laughs> by and he points at me and he says, Sam, Sam, you need to meet Bogdan and Bogdan's right there. And he, may, he tells me I got to meet him. And he says, you were the first person I told we were, that we were going to get him for next season. I told you. I told you I would do it. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, he was very excited and they still are. Um, yeah. He's actually coming to town, I think, via L.A. Uh, for the first time this weekend. So his oh, Sacramento okay. experience is about to begin.
0: Oh yeah, so so between him and and I wouldn't even lump in uh, Malachi Richardson, who barely played last year, and, and when he looked like he was about to really get some run, he actually I think you were at this game. I definitely was. He he, he just when it looked like he was going to get the play the last couple of months, he had a really bad hamstring injury and really has struggled to get over it since then. But between him and and Mal between Bogdan and, and Malachi and, and Justin Jackson, their other first round pick, or I guess one of their two, uh, what are those? What are those? How do you think those three guys are going to shake out in terms of playing time? Because they've got. You know, for a team that is rebuilding, between George Hill and and Buddy Hill, that we'll get to in a minute, and and Garrett Temple and Vince Carter, I mean, there's a lot of guys that can play uh, those wing spots that could potentially eat up a lot of minutes.
2: I mean, the sense I'm getting is Justin's going to get a lot of run. Um, you know, it's, I'm curious to see. You know, I mentioned Vince Carter earlier, um, but when you're talking about being at this stage of your career, you know, from day to day, week to week, you know, the, those wheels might start falling off. You know, <laughs> right. so I'm, oh, I'm curious. And so we'll see what Vince is bringing and and whether or not – He's going to cut into some of the young guys minutes or even how many minutes he wants to play. Uh, At the same time, I don't think it's a small revelation. I mean, Vince told me at summer league that he doesn't think this is his last year and he's thinking about playing two more. So with that in mind, you know, I think he still wants to compete, but nonetheless, Justin Jackson is a guy that they're pretty fired up about. And I think Frank Mason, the third two as a possible backup one and and getting some, you know, time on the side behind George and De'Aaron, you know, you got, who who is obviously not panned out whatsoever, we'll see if he can get some run. But they like the core, and then Buddy Heald first full season in Sacramento trying to break out as as a uh, part of their core going forward. They uh, they got a good thing going, but I don't necessarily envy Dave Yeager just when it comes to the rotations, because you got Zebo, who we haven't even mentioned, who you know he still considers himself an extremely productive, impactful NBA player, and I think he's going to want to play a fair amount. And uh, you know, there's only so much minutes to to dole out.
0: It is pretty crazy. I mean, you look at their roster, and I mean, they've. I mean, obviously they've got guys like Vincent Zebo that are old, and you know, Garrett's 31, and George Hill's 31. But I mean, you look, they've got you know Bogdanovich is 25, uh, Willie cauley is 24, Buddy's 23, yeah. Frank Mason's 23, Justin Jackson's 22, Scow is 21, Malachi Richardson 21. Like they've got. Probably two thirds of their roster is guys that are 25 and under, which is, yeah. um, you know, like you said, I mean, not only do they have a lot of guys to try to get minutes, but they got a lot of young guys to try to get minutes. So um, it, it is going to be interesting to see how Dave shakes that out. Um, well, and I
2: think overall,
0: the, I've seen a few projections where folks
2: were pretty ambitious about their ability to improve that record. I mean, that's probably where I would preach caution because yes. as exciting as the talent <clears throat> is, uh, as you, you and I have seen for so many years now, it's just the dearth of experience typically leads to struggle. Youth, youth yeah. loses in the NBA. And yeah. Like this isn't the – I always use this example. Just it always comes to mind. Like Blake Griffin had, you know, after his injury and he was able to come back as a rookie, kind of his second rookie year. He has this amazing rookie year. Yeah. He was fantastic. And the Clippers did not win any more games with him than they had without him. <laughs> right, right. It's so a perfect it, example. You're going to be on the highlight reel, and the Kings I think are going to be in the conversation in a more positive light. But we'll have to wait and see whether or not that impacts the record.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be really fun to watch too. They should play pretty fast. I mean, they've got a lot of interesting young guys. But yeah, I I agree with you. Both between their youth and the Western Conference being brutal, I, I don't I don't right. see the uh, I don't see the winds falling along. Now you uh, you mentioned you mentioned Buddy a little bit. Both he and and Scalvisia had pretty strong ends of the season last year. Yep. Buddy. Buddy after the trade and Scal after a bunch of minutes opened up really started to look like the guy that, you know, it's funny. He got drafted 28th, but people forget that when he went to Kentucky the year before he was, you know, if not the number one pick projected to be in the draft, he was right up there with Ben Simmons as a guy that was thought to be, you know, at the top, right in the top couple of picks of that draft. Um, what do you, how much, I know you weren't around the case necessarily every day, but you saw them a lot. And uh, do, how, how much do you think their surges at the end of the season were, were, you know, more real, or do you think that was some of, you know, Hey, you know, there's some guys down the stretch and teams are kind of, you know, looking ahead to next season that are taking advantage of that. And, and maybe it wasn't quite as, quite as rosy as some people have made it out to be for those two guys.
2: I mean, I'll split the difference. Cause I'm not, you know, I, I feel like you can't take production away from guys, you know, getting the job done is getting the job done, but right, that is, that's the time of year When priorities are different for different teams and and you're going to have kind of a different level of competition depending on who you're playing, not in, not out. Plus, you know, he goes from, and I'm cheating and looking at his game log, you know, the beginning of his time in Sacramento, there was a lot lot of nights where he was playing in the high teens and the 20s in terms of minutes. And and then near the end, it was a steady stream of 30 plus. And so comfort level is going to get better. And Buddy played well. His percentages shot up. He was shooting yep. the heck out of the three ball. And and that's huge. You know, that's the guy for as much as the Demarcus Cousins trade was roundly ridiculed. Buddy's the guy with the little side anecdote about how Vivek Ranadive, the, the team's owner, had mentioned to him earlier in the season that he was going to find a way to get him. You know, so <laughs> Vivek's a, a big fan of his. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he was a, a real priority uh, in that trade. Hopefully, Tim, you can't hear the cat who's yelling at me. As I <laughs> His domestic problems. I'm ready to be back in arenas. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, that was a really, really nice thing for
0: them going into the off season to have Buddy, you know, give them a little taste of what he could be. No, I, I think that I think that's definitely true. And I mean, you you kind of you kind of mentioned it before, but to, to kind of wrap things up, I mean, there there are a lot of questions left to be answered at this point. But what do you think the what do you think the the rough rotation at least to start the year is going to look like? Because it is it is a pretty muddled group to try to figure out how it's going to sort out
2: put me on the spot here I mean you know here's the thing and I, I feel like if we had clarity on this back in July let me know but I mean have we discussed George and whether or not he's your starter uh, did he come in you know demanding as much you know what I mean yeah
0: i mean it's a it's a really good question right i mean i you would i would certainly think you'd have him start the year as the starter and then maybe you know if if towards the end of the season it's starting to look like things are going the way you'd expect maybe you kind of ease fox in that way or or do something but i it's hard. It's hard for me to believe he would walk in and, and immediately be a backup to a rookie.
2: For sure, and I mean, you know, I think you start that way most likely. Uh, and and one caveat to his contract, by the way, that is is kind of got overlooked in July and revealed later. I mean, George is essentially a two year deal. So the window on his contract it was you know reported as three years. It winds up being two years, forty million, thirty years of partial guarantee. So you give De'Aaron. A little bit of a runway to take your time, come in as the backup. You know, Buddy, obviously, is going to be sitting there in that two spot. Um, I wonder at the three, you talked about some of the stuff with Malachi and, and the health problems that he had had, you know, and then the Vince Carter X-Factor two. It wouldn't shock me to – I mean, I guess Vince is going to start at the three for you, but Justin's going to get a lot of run there. Um, you know, we got – what do you do at center? Is it Willie Colley-Stein's job?
0: Yeah, yeah, him or Kufus, maybe. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe you could. I mean, I guess you could even theoretically play Zebo there if you wanted to. Um, right. Might be center at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing. They've got they've got a million guys to kind of they, you know they've got they've got an over a they've got a lot of guys that can play at the big spots. They got a lot of guys that can play on the wing. Uh, they got a couple of guys that can play a point. I mean, you know, they are I think a couple of years away, but they do it, like you said, it is going to be really fascinating to see how Jaeger handles it because they you know between some vets that are going to want to play and a ton of young guys that you think they'd want to get minutes to, it is going to be interesting to see how they kind of suss it all out.
2: Well, and again, this is in that category of things that don't necessarily mean the record's going to get better, but if you're rebuilding and they've been rebuilding forever, but it, right. you know the first step is rebuilding with the buzz with the optimism with reason for hope and we've talked about all these guys and we barely even touched on Scal. you know who for a lot of last season he was kind of the the only guy that had them feeling hopeful before buddy was playing well at the end of the year so i mean to me you know that's another big thing too is is Scal and what he was able to do late last season is that going to continue and and is he kind of the guy that that uh, i know locally for a little stretch there it was it was kind of comical just how fired up people were about a guy who nationally nobody was really talking about a lot. Well, lot
0: yeah and it, like i said before it is interesting he was a guy that you know going into the 2016 draft cycle he was right up there with ben simmons as a number one pick and then he had yeah. a disastrous year at kentucky you know cal john calipari wanted him to really round out his game you know kind of treated him the same way he did carl towns he wouldn't let carl towns shoot threes yep. at, at kentucky and that really rounded out carl's game whereas scowl Um, you know, he kind of did the same things with him and it didn't work. And Scow really struggled. He ended up falling all the way to 28th in the draft where the Kings got him. And you, you did see, like you said, towards the end of last year, he was kind of showing flashes of the guy that was thought to be a top, you know, five talent in the draft, you know, you know, maybe 12 or 14 months earlier. So what, you know, I guess we'll just end up with him. Like what, Coming into this season, kind of from your standpoint, I know, like I said, you're you're obviously a national guy, but you pay attention to them a lot. Like, what are you what are you expecting to see from him uh, in terms of trying to back up that production, and if he can, you know, prove that that wasn't a mirage.
2: I mean, I'm curious to get eyes on him in person uh, just in terms of the body because he's a a pretty light guy. And this, to me, is one of those summers I haven't heard much about what he did in the weight room, what his strategy was physically and and finding a way to survive in the man's league. Because last year you saw these fleeting moments of of excellence, but then you're sitting there going, all right, night in and night out, this guy's going to get – he's just going to get beat up. I mean, he's so light of frame. So, you know, I'm curious to see how he looks. And then I also think it's safe to assume when you've got a guy who I do think has a good reputation as a worker that that jump from, I mean, he's still 21 years old. He's going to be 22 in March and you know the i think the the development comes quick at that age especially when you get the kind of experience you did last year so the offensive versatility is the stuff that they got them excited last year you know need to find a way to slow guys down on the other end but uh, another reason for them to be excited
0: i think yeah no i think i think that's true so all right man i really appreciate you making some time to do this uh let the this isn't going to come out for a couple of weeks so let the people know uh where they, can, uh, where they can follow you on social media, Though I'm sure everybody who listens already does. And uh, if you have anything planned for the first week of camp that you, you want to have people go back and take a look at, um, you know, feel free to plug it.
2: Thank you, my friend. We, you know, Bouncing around like we all do this time of year, uh, I'm going to have a decent amount of stuff coming out of Oklahoma City, making them a, a bit of a priority with Paul George coming in and Russell Westbrook coming off the MVP campaign. You and I, as always, going to be kind of front and center on Warriors coverage and all things Golden State. So I will be seeing you at, at Media Day, which when people listen to this is going to be in the rearview mirror. But a lot of Warriors stuff, a lot of Western Conference, and uh, you know, just essentially everything through the prism of Golden State and, and can anybody cut that competitive gap and actually take a run at them. So it yeah, should
0: be fun. It should, should be a lot of fun. So thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. All right, in order, thank you to Anthony Slater from the Athletic Bay Area, Brad Turner from the LA Times, Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times, Ben Golliver from Sports Illustrated, and Sam Amick from USA Today. Appreciate all of them coming on, spending a few minutes to talk about the various scenes in the Pacific Division, um, help round out this podcast, appreciate it. Um, as for me, you can find my work in the pages of the Washington Post on washingtonpost.com. On Twitter, at Tim Bontemps. On Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA. Uh, please find the podcast wherever you can find it. Stitcher, iTunes, wherever. Give it a five-star rating and review. Really helps a lot. Please go find the music of Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, theme music for the podcast. Those guys do a great job. I've seen them in concert. They're really good. Um, so go, go find their music wherever you can get it online and purchase it too. We're going to be back with a bunch more of these pods over the next couple weeks. Just got to just gotta reel them out. So... Um, you know, Pacific today. We'll get a couple more out later this week, a couple more next week, and then by then the season will be upon us. So i uh, be on the lookout for those. Might try to get another one non-division uh, preview one and two, but a lot going on right now, so we'll see. But in the meantime, thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to y'all again soon.